Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, our associate care pastor, Joshua Masters, is wrapping up a four-week series we've been going through on the Book of Ruth. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. I love that song. Our God is a way maker. He is here working in this place. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in this series, seeing how God is working in every detail of our lives. I'm so glad that you are here with me today, whether you're here in the room or you're with us in the online campus. Today is our final week in the series on the book of Ruth called Harvesting a Life of Hope. I I know it makes me sad too. And we don't have time to recap the entire story of what's happened in Ruth so far, but I'll hit the most important points as we go along. Over the course of this series, we've talked about how to see God's silent fingerprints in our lives, how we can see where he's working even when we can't hear his voice, and how that helps us harvest a life of hope. In week one, we talked about how to harvest a life of hope by evaluating ourselves and seeing God's work in our crisis. Then week two was about harvesting a life of hope by recognizing and having gratitude for all the things that God has given us, all his provisions. And then in week three, we talked about having a life of expectant hope by living in bold submission. And practicing those three things, each one of those in our lives, prepares our hearts for the ultimate way that we harvest a life of hope, by knowing and experiencing the love of our Redeemer. But that's a strange word to us, isn't it? Redeemer, redemption. We use it in church, but what does it mean? Well, when we last left our heroes in the book of Ruth, Ruth had just proposed to Boaz as their family or kinsman Redeemer. And not to ruin the big reveal, but as we walk through the end of their story in chapter 4, we'll see that this role of the kinsman Redeemer is really a reflection of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now, the Hebrew word that's used throughout this book for Redeemer or kinsman Redeemer is goel. And it can be either the noun or the verb, the person or the action that the kinsman Redeemer takes. It means to purchase or buy back, to deliver, avenge, and restore as a close family member. Christ has purchased our freedom. He's delivered us from our sin. He will avenge every wrong and he's restored our relationship with God. But he didn't do that by just waving his hand as a distant God. No, he wanted to adopt us into his own family. He wanted to give us the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. So Jesus was born as a human being so that he could rescue us as a kinsman redeemer. And when we hear that word redeemer or redemption, I I think we typically associate that with salvation, going to heaven. And I think that that's true. But redemption doesn't just give us hope for eternity after we die. It gives us hope today, here, right now. 
So how do we harvest a life of hope knowing that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer? Well, let's look at the book of Ruth, chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles. If you're using this Bible, it's 223. If you're watching in our online campus, you can just hit the Bible tab in the chat window to follow along. And you'll remember that we left off on a cliffhanger. Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but there's a problem. There's another kinsman redeemer that's more closely related to Naomi and Ruth. So Ruth goes home to wait with Naomi and Boaz goes into town to resolve the question, who will get to marry Ruth, our hero or the other kinsman redeemer? Let's jump in. Verse 1. Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. Now the town gate represented the law to everyone in Israel. It looked like this. They had these open rooms with benches near the entrance to the gate. And that's where all the prominent town prominent town leaders, which was usually the heads of the family, they would gather there and they'd settle all the legal matters or any disputes that were going on. So that's where Boaz goes to resolve this problem. And once again, we see God's silent fingerprints at work in what's going on. So remember a couple chapters ago, the author was sort of winking at us when Ruth just happened into Boaz's field on the same day that Boaz just happened to show up. Remember that? Well, we see it again here. Now the other kinsman redeemer just happens to show up when Boaz is arriving. And Boaz says to this guy, he says, come on over here and sit down, friend. But he doesn't actually say friend. In fact, he probably called him by his name. But the author is using a rhyming taunt in Hebrew. It's poloni Almoni, which basically translates to, basically means Mr. So-and-so. And the phrase also indicates concealment. So the author is purposefully not telling us the other kinsman redeemer's name. And we're going to see why in just a couple minutes. So what does Boaz say to the elders and to Mr. So-and-so? Verse 3. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. And if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it or I'll goel it. And this looks like a great deal for Mr. So-and-so. It's a great deal because he knows that Naomi is not going to produce an heir. So he thinks that he can purchase the land and keep it for his own family. He'll become richer and all Elimelech's land will go to this guy's children. So he says, absolutely, it's only the right thing for me to do as the kinsman redeemer. But look how clever Boaz is. Verse 5. 
Then Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires you to marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You, you redeem the lamb. You do it. See, Boaz is very clever here. He's revealing this guy's true motives. Why didn't Boaz bring up Ruth in the beginning? Well, his legal approach is very clever. See, in this particular case, the kinsman redeemer wouldn't actually be obligated to marry Ruth. So what Boaz is doing is he's laying out the case for the law and then introducing compassion into the law. He's making a moral stand in front of all these witnesses to go beyond what the law requires. And notice how Boaz refers to Ruth as the Moabite. That's really interesting because he's never referred to her that way before. And in fact, in chapter 2, he dismisses the fact that she's a foreigner. So why does he do that? It's because Boaz is gently, respectfully exposing this guy's motives, but also his prejudices. And why doesn't Boaz have the same prejudice against Moabites that everyone else in Israel does? Well, I thought about that a lot. And I think, I think it's because of something about Boaz that we don't find out until the book of Matthew. And that's that Boaz's mother was Rahab, another Gentile who embraced the God of Israel. Do you see how that amazing that is? God was working before Boaz was born to prepare his heart for this moment. When you build real relationships with people who are different from you, it breaks down prejudice and replaces it with compassion. And Boaz had those relationships his whole life. Don't miss this. The law alone could not save Ruth. But fulfilling that law, because the law does need to be fulfilled completely and perfectly, fulfilling that law with sacrifice and compassion could save her. And the law can't save us either. But we can harvest a life of hope because our Redeemer perfected the law in compassion. Our Redeemer perfected the law in compassion. We are hopeless under the law. We can't fulfill it, but it has to be fulfilled and it has to be fulfilled perfectly. So Christ lived a perfect life on our behalf so that he could fulfill the law. Scripture says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have so he could be our kinsman. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. Let's see what happens next. Verse 7. Now in those days... It was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal 
as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. That's weird. That's weird, right? And some believe that this custom of removing the sandal was tied to the way that they measure land ownership. They could survey, the way that they would survey a property was by the distance a man could walk in an hour or in a day, depending on how big it was. So by giving up the sandal, it's like surrendering your right to survey or walk the property. And this guy actually got off easy because when this custom is laid out in Deuteronomy 25.9, it actually says the widow who was being wronged had the right to rip the sandal off his foot and then spit in his face. That was the law. So this was a huge disgrace. And now we see why Mr. So-and-so's name isn't listed. Don't miss this. In his selfishness to advance his own name, his name has been blotted out. And we don't have a lot of time, so I'll let you draw your own conclusion about the application of that. But this man wanted the title of kinsman redeemer without the sacrifice. But as we just read in Roman 8, just a couple seconds ago, our kinsman redeemer sacrificed everything. Number two, we can harvest a life of hope because our redeemer paid a great price. Our redeemer paid a great price. You cannot redeem something without purchasing it. Galatians 13, uh, 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree. And the NLT actually says, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself a curse for our wrongdoing. Redemption isn't just an act of compassion. It's an act of sacrifice. And Christ paid an incredible price to purchase our freedom. What the law could not do, what the selfishness of mankind could not do, the love of God could. And we see that, at least on an earthly level, from Boaz as well. Let's look at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. See, Boaz was willing to sacrifice what others were not in order to restore Ruth and restore Naomi and even to restore the name of those they had lost. And now they have a future. We can harvest a life of hope because our Redeemer provides a future. Our Redeemer provides a future. We all know, or most of us know, Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for those who love God and are called what? According to his purpose for them. See, in the beginning of this book, in the beginning of this story, Naomi had no hope. She couldn't see where God was working. They, they faced her and Ruth. They faced famine and death and suffering. They had run from God and practiced idolatry. And until they encountered their Redeemer, they had no hope for a future. 
But when you encounter your Redeemer, when you experience his compassion and begin to grasp the price that he's paid to restore you, you can begin to trust the plan he has for your future. See, the reason that we don't have hope in our lives is because we exchange our Redeemer's promise for human uncertainty. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah, which is another word for Bethlehem, and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar. And Judah. So the town leaders approve the wedding and everybody rejoices. Ruth is saved. Naomi is saved. And Boaz is a hero with a new future and a new family in front of him. And the elders offer Boaz and Ruth a blessing in the line of Perez. That's significant because Perez is not only a symbol of the tribe of Judah, but his mother Tamar was another Gentile who was redeemed by a kinsman redeemer and redeemed by the God of Israel, just like Ruth. And as we look at the blessing that God provided for them, imagine their joy. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. This verse is very important. God enabled her to have a son, enabled her to become pregnant. Because throughout this series, we've been talking about God's quiet fingerprints in our lives, how we can see God silently working even when we can't hear his voice. But don't miss when he's overtly working in your life either. We saw God's fingerprints in nearly every verse of this story, every verse of this book. But there are two direct, overt actions that God took that bookend Naomi and Ruth's redemption. Do you remember what the first one was? It was back in chapter one when we learned that God had given Israel good crops again. And God used that direct action to call them home just like he might be calling you home today. And now at the end of the story, God takes another direct action to enable Ruth to become pregnant. Because remember, Ruth had been married to Malon for 10 years and they were never able to have a child. The birth of this son is miraculous and everyone in town knew it. They knew that it was from God. Let's look at verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. They have no idea. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son or a descendant again. And they named him Obed. 
And Obed is a shortened version of Obadiah, which means servant of the Lord. And now their future is secured, both into their old age and into the next generation. And if that were the end of the story, it would be amazing. Look how God transformed their lives. Look how he restored them. Look at how his compassion arranged every moment of their story toward their rescue. Look how he provided for their future. If we were to close the book right here, we could walk away and say that the God of Israel is an amazing God. But our God doesn't stop at amazing because he doesn't just provide a future in our lives. He proclaims a purpose in our lives. We can harvest a life of hope because our Redeemer proclaims a purpose. The final verses of Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz through Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. That's King David. And when the Jews read this story, when they read those words and they see the name David, they know that God hasn't just changed the lives of one family because they know that there's a promise coming. There's a promise coming through the line of David. They know when they see David's name that God didn't just send a redeemer to Ruth. He's sending a redeemer to him, to them. The Redeemer is coming, and we know who that Redeemer is, don't we? Because this genealogy that we just read, this isn't the last place we see it. We see the same genealogy in the book of Matthew. But this same genealogy with these names in the book of Matthew doesn't start with the words, this is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Do you see it? Do you see what that means? Go back, read the entire book of Ruth again, and every time you see God's fingerprints in this story, every time you see God arranging details for their rescue, know that he's actually arranging details for your rescue. Every miraculous intervention in this book leads straight to your rescue. Because our redemption, our salvation is directly tied to what God does in the life of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth. Whose redemption might God be planning through what he does in your life? God's purpose is bigger than what we're able to see. Generations can be transformed by the work he does in a single life. Every fingerprint of God creates a ripple effect into a broken world. Are you willing 
to live a life of hope, expecting to see God do incredible things. Because God's purpose for your life is greater than you can imagine. And he's been preparing for you to come home since before this story was written. I want to end this series with a moment of reflection this week. What is God saying to you? So whether you're here in the room with me or you're watching in our online campus, let's put down our distractions for just a few minutes and use this song as a time of prayer. Yes, if you feel moved, you can stand, you can sing, you can lift your hands. But what may be better, at least in the beginning of the song, is if you're willing to just close your eyes and ask God to show you who he is and what he's been trying to say to you over this series. Let's close our eyes and worship him because the same God who hung the stars in place, the same God that commands the armies of heaven and conquered death, this God with the power to create the universe is the same God who reaches down to a single broken life and sacrifices everything to bring you hope. Let's pray and let's worship. In your darkest days of grief, God was working. In your moments of doubt, God was working. When people rejected you, God was working. And before you were born, God was working to restore you. God wants you to have a life of hope. Not just hope for what he'll do in your life, but hope for what he'll do through your life. Because our purpose in Jesus Christ is bigger than what we see in the moment. Our purpose in Jesus Christ is bigger than our time here on earth even. And we have hope because we have a Redeemer who lives a redeemer who purchased our freedom at an incredible price and gives us a purpose greater than ourselves. Don't run from what God is trying to do in your life. Don't run for what he's trying to do today. Ask him to show you how he's working right now. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God of redemption, that you are a God of healing and hope. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us. Lord, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the ability to be together. But we thank you most of all that you are a God who would not settle for simply waving your arm to save us that you wanted to adopt us and give us an inheritance and a family. And I know that there are people listening who have a broken family. Lord, I pray that you restore us, that you show us and remind us how you purchased us, how you will avenge every wrong and how you have restored us through your glory and your compassion. We give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 so that you can get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. We are so thankful that you listened today. We pray you have a great week.